I could give you stats. I could give you numbers. I can give you so many different types of data when it comes to suicide. But sometimes all we need to do is just talk about it. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Relatively Normal. I am your host, Mark Paisant, and we have a little bit longer of a show today. I have my good friend, Dr. David Pfaff, on with me today, and I have been trying to talk about this subject for the longest time. To many people, it's a difficult subject to talk about, and it's suicide. Suicide happens. If there was a way that I could snap my fingers and I could change specific things in the world, I would love to end suicide. I would love that. But the fact of the matter is that it happens. Right now, someone you've met, someone you know, someone you've crossed paths with is either thinking about or has thought about suicide in their life, whether the act of doing it or just suicide in itself. We see it all the time. We hear about the veterans, and I think the stat now is 22 veterans a day commit suicide. You know, we hear about famous people, Anthony Bourdain, Robin Williams, people who we think have everything going for them that commit this act. We hear people say, oh, it's so selfish. How could you do that? You should be grateful for all the things you have. Yet people still think about it and people still do it. We'll talk about this a little later, but most of the time, women attempt suicide more than men. However, on the flip side of that, men are more successful. So what does that tell us? Also, when we go across racial lines, gender lines, sexual orientation lines, we see that suicide affects everyone. It's not just singled out to one race or gender or demographic. The reason it's been so hard for me to talk about this is because I really don't want to give incorrect information. And like I mention all the time, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician, I'm not a therapist. I'm just a guy who's gone through some things and decided one day to start a podcast about it, start a show about it. So please, if you can, And you'll hear this more when I talk to to David. Reach out to those that we, we care about. Reach out to those people that we love. See how people are doing. Don't be a stranger. 
simple text message that says, hey, was just thinking about you. Hope everything is all right. A quick phone call, a quick stop by their house, by their job, a lunch date, something that tells people you care about them. So once we get back from the break, from the quick ad, I'm going to have my conversation with Dr. David Pfaff. And I want to say this real quick. I do apologize about any audio issues we may have in the conversation I have with him. You know, I am an independent podcaster, so I've been uh, using a new product, a Zoom recorder, which I love, but still I'm working out the kinks. So it makes it easier for me to have these conversations with people who aren't next to me. So um, I do apologize about that, but once we get back, we'll have my conversation with Dr. David Pfaff. podcast and like I stated I have a repeat guest I have Dr. David Pfaff on with me tonight and I want to go ahead and put it out there now that we're going to get into some some deep conversation about a very important topic and I think it's the timing couldn't be better and You know, most of my shows, as anybody listens to this, will be approximately 35 minutes long. Um, But I really want to take the time today to really get into the subject of suicide. This affects so many people in this world. And during the times we're living in now with the pandemic, it's affecting even more of us. And I want to kind of really dive into it and really talk about it and maybe change some people's minds about suicide, maybe open some people's eyes about the topic, but let's go ahead and get into it. So like I said, with me today is Dr. David Pfaff. David, thank you for being here tonight. I really appreciate it. Mark, it's, and, I, and, and I, I appreciate that, but please know it's my honor and it's my privilege uh, to be on here. I mean, it's, it's, like you eloquently said, it's, it's a tough subject matter and it's unfortunate, but it's uh, hats off to you and gratitude to you for, for broaching the subject matter and talking about it, having the courage to take It truly is my honor. Well, again, thank you for being here, and uh, you were just part of an article, and I will post this to the uh, show notes on uh, blunttherapy.com about um, 20 professional therapists share their thoughts on suicide, and there's no real easy way to get into this, but I just, I want to go ahead and start with the obvious question, what are the reasons why people think about suicide? What are the reasons people that the the thought of suicide will even pop into their minds? 
Um, Mark, that's, you know, and it's a great question because it's also, it really speaks to one of the more misunderstood parts about suicide. And I'll just, I'll say this up front, you know, what's going on in the mind is, well, we don't really know for sure. We've got a lot of really good ideas theory. And one that I really like, it comes from uh, David Joe, who put together uh, this collaborative assessment management of suicidality. I, the idea that folks that are struggling with suicidality, man, they, they don't want to die. It's not about dying. And I get some sideways looks with that sometimes. People are like, well, talking about dying. It's like, well, no, pe people don't want to die. It, it has more to do with people don't want to hurt anyone. You know, folks, folks are, and they're hurting emotionally, they're hurting psychologically. And in suicidality, it, it becomes less about dying and it becomes more about, well, it's, it becomes a solution. Now, it's, it's maladaptive, sure, but it gets to be seen as a solution because people get to a spot, man, where they're, they're feeling hopeless. They're in a lot of pain. And, and Mark, we talked about this last time I was on the show. It's a pain that you can't see. Even though emotional pain hits the, the brain very similar, if not more so than physical, it's a very abstract thing. And we don't understand it. It's highly stigmatized. We just want it to go away. And then the emotional agitation builds and the stress builds. And people begin to feel out of control. And their, their perspective becomes and the focus gets to be on I, I, I want to I want to stop this thing. End it. there's no other way and then you know the worldview becomes distorted the perspective becomes constricted and the negative self-narrative the negative self-talk begins to kick in and it just starts to make sense it starts to make sense it starts to take sense out and you know like in that article you mentioned, I argue that suicide is it, it, it's a universal part of the human. Every adult, I, 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 every adult at some point in their life on this earth has had a suicidal thought, right? And, and a lot of times, you know, it scares the hell out of us. We don't want to talk about it. It's highly stigmatized. And so then we, we start to turn inward. We don't want to be seen as crazy. We don't think about ourselves as crazy. And we're, we're, we're hardwired to avoid pain. The brain is designed to get out of it. Finally, it's, like I said, at that point, it just becomes the solution to this pain that just we don't have any hope in it, that it's going to end. And so it's a maladaptive coping mechanism. It's not about being selfish. It's not about being crazy and messed up or stupid. And it, it starts to make sense. And then the pressure builds. You know, it's trying to relieve it. And you, you kind of touched on it a little bit about what some people may think it is or what some people may believe they know about it. But what what don't we understand about suicidal thoughts? What does a person who may say to you, I just, I just don't understand why someone may have these thoughts in their head, like why people are so, um, they, sh they should feel fortunate that they have this or they have that. What don't, we understand about suicidal thoughts well I, I think first of all mark you bring up a good point 
by by saying, well, this person has this or they have that. I mean, in, in the very basic core, I mean, suicide goes against our, our basic instinct to survive, right? It, it seems like it doesn't make sense because well, we're hardwired to survive. And so I think we, we, we have a hard time understanding that. I think we have a hard time, again, understanding that the pain that we can't see, the pain that we can't, uh, you know, really abstract or wrap our, our minds around, can, can really push to the extent where we lose hope. And our perspective becomes constricted, and, and we don't see any other way out but, but death by suicide. And not only that, I, I think, too, socially speaking, in the stigma, really play a big part. I mean, Mark, I, I don't know about you, man, but I know growing up as a kid, I was taught, you know, if someone's suicidal, they're selfish. Or someone suicidal, uh, having suicidal thoughts, they're a sinner, they're going to hell. Um, I, I don't know if you've heard anything like that or what, what you're Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely, I definitely heard that growing up, too. Yeah. And so I think we're afraid of it. I think these, these thoughts and feelings really scare us really trigger us and you know what we don't understand what we don't understand we, we, we really do get afraid of and, and push to the friend and I think all of us at some point are scared of that depth of emotional pain and so we you know we, we, we push back in fact we even say that you said that we need to talk about it but then you know we, we misunderstand the point so much that we're like no we can't talk about it because that's going to make people want to suicidal right and then all these myths come up about suicidality. These myths about, um, oh, for instance, if you talk about it, then somebody is going to want to engage in that behavior. It's totally false, not true. In fact, the research shows that the more we talk about it, the more we make a conversation, the more people do what you're doing here. You're talking about it, they actually feel relief. Because it is a universal part of the human condition. Um, you know, other myths, that, that we look at is that it comes out of nowhere. No, I mean, the research shows people people can struggle for years with suicide hours. Like on average, it takes people about 10 years sometimes to actually get mental health treatment from the onset of symptoms. And suicidality just doesn't, people just don't wake up one day and all of a sudden want to die by suicide. No, it's a process. And it starts and it scares the person that's experiencing it and it scares the person who might be confronted with it by family, friends, loved ones, got it. And again, there's so much we don't understand, and I think there's so much that we're afraid of, and so much that we're confused by. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh yeah, I mean, definitely it does, and, and you know, something I, you know, I, I, I don't put out there in private, told many people, is I've, you know, I've been affected by suicide. I've had, you know, friends, um, you know, that I've had um, uh, a kid commit suicide. I've had uh, uh, a, uh, a close family friend commit suicide. I've had friends talk to me about suicidal thoughts. And then, you know, you, you have even more famous people. And an example I bring up is, is Robin Williams and a guy who was the light of so many people's life that decided to take his own life for, for, uh, you know, specific reasons that, you know, he didn't want to be a, a burden to those who were close to him. But I think 
when a lot of people think about the action of suicide, they think it happens to a specific group of people, a a person who's outwardly depressed, um, older people, a a you know maybe just women, maybe just a certain age group, whatever it is. But you know what. What is out there that we have completely wrong about suicide? What are what are some thoughts that people have that that couldn't be further from the truth about you know what we know about suicide, and 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 right. who and who it affects? I should say. Yeah, no, you're you're so right. I mean, it it, it, it permeates through every race, ethnicity, gender, and in fact, we, we see that um, members of socially marginalized. Uh, and have some higher suicide rates. And it's not because of anything that has more to do with, with, with society and social pressures. And so, yeah, I, I think one of the big myths and things that's getting wrong is that it's all in the person's head. Uh, it's all in their head. They're selfish, they're centered. No. No, they're facing very real social pressures. They're facing very real discrimination. we got a real problem in the country with power and privilege and pressure. And that stuff, you know, affects depression, anxiety, and feelings of hope uh, or hopelessness. And so it's not just all in someone's head, man. It's, it's, it's in the world all around us. But then we tell people, buck up, man up, put on your, your big girl pants. And so it, we really don't appreciate that suicidality, you know, can really be impacted and influenced by problems, whether personal, systemic, whatever, in someone's life. You know, another thing, too, is that, like you said, that only a certain kind of person, like depression, or, or you know, it's going to be a person, I, I think of the or from uh, Winnie the Pooh when I was a kid, right? It's someone who's just always down. No, that's your Robin Wright. You, uh, I remember the story about uh, Chris Cornell, lead singer of Soundgarden, a couple of other bands, who people were saying, well, no, he didn't die by suicide. He, he looked very, very happy the night he died. You know, it, it's conspiracy. No, that's not uncommon that people actually get an uplifting mood when they've decided to attempt to die by suicide because they feel like they've got a solution. And so, yeah, we, we, we can't just look and say, well, someone's depressed or someone's on drugs, someone's on alcohol. Yeah, those things are risk factors to increase it, but you know, some of us are really good about suffering in silence, too. I'm one of those. You know, I'm one of those that I used to have a real problem with trying to man up and suffer in silence and um, not talk about and I think another thing we're getting wrong, Mark, is this idea that to talk about suicidality, to talk about our emotional pain, right? That you, you've got to buck up and you've got to be strong and you've got to take it. I, I'm always fascinated by that idea that avoiding these things is strength. I mean, nowhere else is, would we consider someone who's avoiding something strength, right? We always say, no, you confront it, right? Get it all out there. No one watches a football game and says, well, you know, that's, that's, that's another football team. They're strong. They're really great because they're avoiding the other. Right. Kind of like the OU defense. <laughs> uh, had, you had to throw that in, huh? Oh, I had to, man. I'm an OU fan through and yeah. through, and I just probably pissed off some OU fans, but it's like, I've been there thick and thin, and I'm tired of watching <laughs> It's getting better, though. Yeah. Um, but it's, no, it's like for some reason we think avoiding this talk and avoiding our pain is strength. It's not. Running from it is not strength. No, 
having the courage and taking that risk, that's, that's like being vulnerable. That's showing courage. Um, I, you know, something else we're getting wrong, I think here is, again, and I already talked about, it's not about people wanting to die. I think another one is that suicide happens without warning. That's, that's not true either. I mean, there's, it's a process. It's a buildup. People suffer and they suffer in silence. Typically, from what I've seen, as a clinician, is starts off with these, these thoughts here. And they don't want to read. They don't want them. And then it builds as, as they suffer in silence. They're told they're wrong or they're sinner. It continues to build. And they're told to get over it. told to get past it. The education thing. In fact, you know, a lot of people speak help. I think it's uh, upwards of 75% of people that die by suicide saw a mental health practitioner within the year before their death. You know, a quarter of them, one week before, half within four weeks. I mean, folks are trying. They're trying to work. They don't. They don't like these thoughts that don't pop in, and they again, they just don't come out of nowhere. It builds and builds and builds until it hits a tipping point where you get intervention or proceed with attempted suicide. Um, you know, I, I think another big myth is, is we think that once the crisis is averted, you know, if the person's talking about it, that then nothing happens, that it's safe. No, no, you can intervene. Or still get that person help. Um, and another huge myth, Mark, is that once a person decides to die, once a person decides to attempt suicide, there's nothing they can do. Totally false. In fact, most people, most people that get support and help with suicidality, suicidal thoughts, suicidal thinking, they don't die by suicide. In fact, most people that get help who've had suicidal thinking um, don't really suffer with that further on down the road. I mean, it's a very, very treatable thing. That's, you know, that's what's one of the really heartbreaking things about all of this. It, it, it is so treatable. You know, it is, it is something, and it's an epidemic, something though, I mean, imagine, Mark, imagine if we treated COVID pandemic like we treat suicidality, because no one talked about it. In fact, it was, it was even more stigmatized, it was more difficult. But that's what we're doing with suicidality. I mean, that in itself seems extremely scary when you put it like that. It It's... It's it's don't it's a tough pill to swallow for for many people and you know I'm, I'm glad you we're pretty straightforward about what we we get wrong about it and you know for in 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 the article I had mentioned I think it needs to be it needs to be said out loud that four out of five people who commit suicide are men and. You know, it, it when you when you really get down to it, it kind of kind of makes sense because we have, you know, I don't want to I don't want to just put it on toxic masculinity, but there is this pressure on men to always be a man, quote unquote. There's this pressure to be the most masculine person in the room. There's this pressure to always be supportive of everyone around you and not show emotion. And we all know what ends up happening a lot of the time. All that built-up pain and fear and sadness and frustration 
you know, there's only so much the human mind and the human spirit can take. And I mean, it's, it's, it's understandable, but again, it's only four out of five. And I, 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 when, when I talk about suicide, I like to bring up, um, a singer that was before my time, but I kind of, she, she has a cult following. Her name is Phyllis Hyman. And I don't know if you know the, the story of Phyllis Hyman, just a great musical career in front of us. And, you know, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and she had had it for years. And as often people do who try to keep it inside, she did her best to keep it inside with alcohol and drugs and People say she frequently spoke about suicide, and then before one show, she wrote a really short letter, and it's pretty—it's a famous letter. All she wrote was, I'm tired, I'm tired. Those of you that I love know who you are. May God bless you. And then she overdosed. So when we talk about, and this is a black woman, so when we talk about color lines, suicide doesn't care. When we talk about age, doesn't care you know when we talk about people who may exhibit anxiety or depression or other mental illnesses or disorders doesn't discriminate so you know you kind of said it we need to look past what we think you know or who we think suicide affects so with all this, with, with everything you've said, everything we've talked about so far, getting down to it, what can we do? What can a person do if, if they start to have these suicidal thoughts, if they believe no one is listening to them, if they believe the pressure is too much, if they believe there's no light at the end of the tunnel, that things are just going to get worse and worse. What can we do if we have suicidal thoughts? Um, I mean, and, and Mark, please, please know just the way you described it. It's no easy feat. We're in that state. Um, so please know when, when, when I answer that question, I'm not trying to make it, I might make it sound easier. Than what All those things described. And if, if there's anything I hope that comes out of this and people listening to this is raising not only awareness, but passion for what someone's going through when they're battling suicide, what someone, you know, just how physically, I mean, all those things you described physically, it's strange, depression. And Mark, you, you, you've talked about having depression before. I, I, I've had episodes of it, just, it, it sucks the life out of you, you know, it sucks the momentum. If any light at the end of the tunnel feels like a train coming, as opposed to hope. So um, I think, you know, just appreciating how difficult it can be for that help. You said how stigmatizing it can in particular. You know, it's, I'm glad you brought up that stat, you know, most women attempt suicide more than men. But men, as you quoted, die by suicide more often. Usually it's more violent. And I think social factors are a big part of that. And so I think, you know, 
if we're struggling with suicidality, if we're battling these voices in our head, you know, these narratives in our head telling us, get over it, no one's going to listen. No one's going to, I mean, I don't, I don't know, Mark, you know, when you were, I know when I have gone through depression, those voices will tell you to keep it in, say to yourself, stay in bed or don't get off that couch, no one's going to care. No, no one wants to hear your problems, basically. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. No, you, well said, man. And no one wants to hear your problems, and, and there's, there's no help anyway. You're not going to get better anyway. And I, and I think this get into a spot where I think we can appreciate that we've been taught a lot of really bad lessons when it comes to our mental health and our emotions and suicidality. You know, we, we've been taught that, you know, people will come in my office and say, David, what's the point of talking? It's not going to do anything, right? From me and say, what's talking about it really going to do? And I'll kind of, I don't know. And, uh, They'll look at me kind of funny. I'll say with a catch. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know why talking about it helps, but research shows it helps. Talking about our thoughts and feelings actually helps. So it's, it's just kind of getting and understanding that these narratives in our head, it feels real, but it's not valid. Easier said than done, of course. But if we can just, we're battling suicidal thoughts, we could talk. If we could reach out, family, friends, on one, crisis line, just, just, Reach out to someone and just begin that narrative and begin that talk. I can't tell you, Mark, that myth about if we talk about suicidality, that's going to make somebody want to die by suicide, total myth. So, in fact, most people say, feel relieved when they get out. Feel relieved to know that, and, and to talk to someone that's not going to judge, feel relieved, get it off their chest, not crazy, suffer, hurting, hurting really badly. And so, just, just talking to someone getting it out there, making making that effort to let somebody know. It's not like we necessarily have to go up to someone and say, hey, I'm having thoughts of suicide. Just starting that dialogue and that conversation about, hey, I'm hurting. I'm in a really rough spot. Talking to someone about the way we feel, finding ways to express those things. And you know, finding a way in, to, to establish some kind of balance, some kind of hope. Again, depression, and it's not always depression, suicide allergy, but um, these suicidality will suck the hope right out of them. So just doing something to connect again with the world, connect again with hope, connect again with other people. And again, suicidality is episodic. It's come and go in ways. Kind of like our emotions, you know? Sometimes we're more angry than others. Sometimes we're more anxious than others. It's also... Once that wave has, has kind of crested and gone back out to sea a little bit, not feeling as bad, that's the time that we really need to reach out and help as well. Just because we're feeling better doesn't mean, you know, oh, it's all good, it's not coming back. No, it's, those are the times that we can also reach out for help too. Just talk to a friend, talk to a therapist and say, yeah, I'm having this stuff. I might not be having it now, but I've been having So just not just assuming that because we're having a good day that And you, in, in the word that I, I heard there was, um, was try to connect, like connect. That's that's a great word. Try to connect with other people. And, and like you said, you don't have to come out and just say, "Hey, I'm I'm suicidal." Like that, that's like it's hard enough for people to, to to release the stigma of any kind of 
mental fatigue in the first place. That's going to be possibly too hard. But to go to someone and say, hey, I'm hurting, that opens the door. That gets the ball rolling. And that that gets maybe not a foot in the door, maybe a toe in the door, but it, it starts the conversation. Um, and I think that's a great way to look at it. And, you know, with... With with people who, and you mentioned this about depression, it just it's it kicks you right in the teeth. It really does. For me, it pops up at the most, you know, inopportune times. You know, I could people have triggers that they don't even know are triggers yet, and just to be able to reach out and just talk to somebody is great. So on the flip side of that, is that. What can we do? How can we assist? How can we help when a loved one, when a friend, you know, I know you're a therapist and you speak to somebody about this more than the normal person, more than regular people. But as a friend, how can we not only recognize, because there, there are things we can recognize, you know, there's the telltale signs of someone giving away prize possessions, someone, you know, their their being their attitude or personality changes abruptly. There's 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 telltale signs. We understand that, or I I, I hope that people can understand that. I, I really believe they should be teaching things like that in school. But not only recognizing, but how can we help someone that may come to us with suicidal thoughts? I, Mark, I, I think. You're, you're really onto something there about how to recognize. You're right. A lot of times, you know, we, we hear some of the signs. I tell, I tell folks, so some of the, at least in my own compartmentalized experience, that I've seen, some of the most telltale signs that someone, and it's almost, it, it can be intimidating to think, you know, well, I'm, I'm on the lookout for someone who might be having problems with suicide. I tell people, uh, be on the lookout, family, friends, loved ones, especially during the pandemic, especially during the times that we live. People are literally storming the I mean, there's so much going on. Be on the lookout for people that are having a really hard time, that, that their ability to cope has been, like, and their ability to max out. And I think that kind of that lessens some of the I don't know the pressure that we can put on ourselves, you know, because it's a very scary thing. And we, we, we'll talk about this too. I'll get to this. It's a very scary thing to be like, what do I so much thought? Suicide. I don't want to put that on great. I think that's why sometimes we end up getting that bystander effect that you were talking about with the singer. Amazing story. I hadn't heard that story about That's a powerful story. And the signs were there. From what you were saying, right? Yeah, the, I mean, they were, they were there, but you have to, you know, remember. In, I mean, what what we think of now, with the advancements we've made with therapy and with lessening the stigma of therapy and mm-hmm. and medication, and now with. I'll go ahead and say it with with the, from all the from all the bad things that we can say about social media or how 
you know, people, everything is out in the open now. Now we, we know more about the people whose albums we buy and movies we see. We know more about their personal life. Um, and at this time, and this was probably in the, you know, this was in the, in the, in the mid-90s. We, we don't think about the 90s as being that long ago, but, I mean, it's 2021. We're talking about 30 years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, even if, even, even if the signs were there, it was a different time. It was a different time than it is now. That Does that make it right? Does that make it wrong? I, I don't know. I'm not one to judge. I'm just saying... I can guarantee that 30 years ago, if someone were to go to somebody else and talk about suicidal thoughts, the reaction may have been what you and I already talked about. Don't be so selfish. You know, it's a sin. You know, you're so fortunate. You're a singer. You make money. You have an audience. Like, just go out there and be who you are. And totally invalidating every feeling that this person may have. And it's so, I, I don't want to call it sad because I want to believe people didn't know any better, but it was unfortunate. It definitely was unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, and, and, and I agree, man, it's, it's gotten better, but, um, you know, I, I, I used that story about Gene Simmons, musician who talked about Chris Cornell's suicide. And said, "Oh, he's selfish. That's so selfish." And it was that, that, that's a sobering thing for me because even though we 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 we've come, we we've improved and we've come some distance since then, it's still sobering to me to think though that just a couple of years ago, more people are going to hear what the, the basis for Kiss has to say. You know, that not even trained, just saying stupid stuff about suicide. Then me, a, a licensed professional, mm-hmm. you know, they're gonna they're gonna listen to that. And, oh, it's selfish, and it's reiterating. So I think, you know, I think we really need to, if we're going to help a friend, address, we really need to fund our own bias and our own conceptualization of suicide. Really kind of get out of our own head about, well, this is selfish. And, uh, you know, and all of these things that the person probably already thinks about themselves. That's why I tell people, don't tell someone if you're trying to help, oh, it's a sin. That's another myth, by the way. Don't try to guilt them out of it. You're a sinner. You're being selfish. What are you gonna? You think about what what that's gonna do to your family and friends. Well, no. This is a, a lot of times when we're bad on suicidal thoughts. You no, know, we already think that stuff about ourselves. We already think we're we already think we're bad. And this is what the thoughts are telling. We're by shaming and guilting. It's just iterating. It's just cement. Yeah, that's what I already think about. I already think I'm a person. In fact, people can begin to think I'm actually doing what favor. I'm a burden by still being my family and friends, you know? And so I, I think we need to really confront our bias. Say if someone, look out for people in distress. Look out for people that are really struggling and they're just not focused on And that can look like, man, sudden changes in behavior. They're not sleeping, they're not eating. They, you get a vibe. And if you're getting those vibes, talk to them about what's going on. You know, it's, it's so interesting. If I have clients tell me, I, I'll ask clients a lot, you know, how are you holding up? 
Mark, I don't know about you, man. I, I don't get that question a lot. Um, do, do people ask you, Mark? You know, how are you holding up, man? How are you? How are you? How are you just like? You know, the people that do ask me that question are um, my closest friends and um, people who who genuinely care about me. And I don't. No, I don't. I don't get it a lot, but. But I do remember when I do get that question. And it's not the it's not the hey, how you doing? Like, oh fine, I'm great. How are you? Not no. It's the person who who calls you out of the blue and says, Hey, I was just thinking about you want to see how you were doing. And I, I you know what? I've done the same for others, and it just that little question means so much. We don't do it enough. And it could and this is not hyperbole. It could save somebody's life. Yeah. And, you know, so this is this is kind of a good segue because I um there's been a lot of good advancements on how do we help, what resources we have. Mm-hmm. You know, last year, you know, the um the US Congress approved, you know, the adoption of, you know, nine eight eight as the new nationwide number. For the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, every show, I'm sure to mention the National Suicide Lifeline, which 1-800-273-8255, or you can text GO to 741-741 to reach a trained crisis counselor. You know, it's a a global not-for-profit organization. But what other resources are out there? I, I, I know... Not everybody has health insurance. Not everybody has the resources to see a licensed counselor. You know, what are some resources that you know of that can help people during this time? And it, it should be noted also that it's, it's estimated that an additional 75,000 Americans will take their own life by suicide because of the pandemic. I think that that should be mentioned because we've lost over 400,000 people to COVID. In those numbers, or excuse me, outside of those numbers, there's going to be an additional thousands of people who will take their own life because their inability to put food on the table for their family, their inability to find a job, their inability to keep a job, just the just the burdens of a pandemic. So for anybody listening, what are some resources that people can use to, to possibly help either themselves or someone else during, you know, um, a suicidal period or even through any period of their life? Well, Mark, it, you're right. It is a good segue to, to, to talk about reaching out to people, asking how they're holding up, looking for distress, and looking for our people, their ability to cope. I'm, I'm going to give, I'll, I'll give you the secret, as I like to say, to a lot of our struggles. Um, it's not really a secret. The research is pretty clear. Most protective thing out there, the, the, the thing that makes the difference in so many ways, and I'm not saying it's the only thing, but man, it is a profound thing. The thing that we are wired for is the thing that, that could make or break when it comes to suicidality, when it comes to trauma, when it comes to 
taking through a pandemic when it comes to substance use, time and time again, is close your social support. And that's, and that's the thing. If we feel like we are connected, we feel like we have got that we are supported socially, that we've got a network, and we don't have to have it. We don't have to have an army of people, right? But if we feel like that we're connected, we got support, that if we feel like we've got at least just some people in our lives that when they ask us, hey, how are you holding up they can Man, that's whether we're talking about a kiddo making it through trauma, abuse, tornado, or we're talking about someone whether or not they survive this, this episode of Suicide Hour. I firmly believe, like I said, we are wired. We are wired we are wired. I mean, the thing that correlates most to healthier, happier lives is fairly close to that. But that's coming from our And so I think if we can understand that whether I'm suffering or I can tell that someone else is suffering, someone else is suffering. In fact, I, w- I would say we don't have to let it get to the point where we're, we're wondering if someone having suicidal thoughts. What if, what if we, we were preventative? We just saw someone struggling. What if we intervene early in the process? As soon as our gut tells us, hey, I wonder if so-and-so is doing okay. And so I think if, if we keep an eye out and we get each other's back, that, that's going to really make a difference. You can really see that we have a responsibility to our friends. Our families, just like they have a responsibility to us. So it's, it's Mark, it's a two way street, man. I, I, I've got to get to a point where if I'm suffering, that I'm going to reach out. But then if someone reaches out to me, I've, I've got to know some good ways to address it. I've got to know some good ways to so I can see. Um, I don't know. It sounds like you were going to say something. I didn't, I didn't say oh, no, not at all. I just, I, I, I. I really wanted that to sink in with with people about being socially connected. And, you know, sometimes people think it's such a complex answer to a question when in reality, it's, it's literally being there for people. And I think you said it perfectly. And I, I wanted to take this time to, to thank you for, for helping me talk about this subject, for having this conversation, because as hard as it people might think it is, I think the only I think the only hard part about it is just starting the conversation. That's with a lot of stuff in life. Let's be honest. A lot of things in life, especially when it comes to progress, especially when it comes to training ourselves, whether it be having this discussion, whether it being learning a new craft, whether it be, you know, kicking a bad habit or starting a good habit the hardest part is just starting and even that even the thought about starting being hard a lot of it's just in our head like a lot of it is um so i think if people have gotten anything out of the discussion you and i have had is to you know be there for people reach out to people you haven't talked to in a while Start the conversation. It doesn't have to be a 30-minute or 45-minute or hour-long discussion. Five minutes, like I said, can save somebody's life. So 
David, well, thank thank you so much for being a part well, Mark, of it. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm so sorry, man. I was going to throw in one more quick thing. If sure. You go. Got no, no, no. Go ahead, please. I would love to because I will say this. Like you were talking about in the intro, which is so true, it can be a hard conversation to start. So I don't, I, I don't want to gloss that over. And so I, you know, just a couple of couple of ideas here of how to demystify that conversation on how to, you know, make it a little easier on us. If we're the ones reaching out or if someone, if we're trying to connect with someone and be there for them. Because if we're the ones reaching out, so easy to assume that no one's there. You know, it's almost like you know, you've got to practice balance. It's like, well, what if, given the benefit of the doubt, you know, know that this is a universal thing. We all struggle with it. Every adult walking this earth at some point are going to. I'll argue, I mean, I'll argue that too. And just knowing that this is one of those parts of the human condition that we all struggle with, don't want to talk about. But best way to get through it is to talk about it the hardest thing. So just don't assume that people are and, and really, you know, if we start to see ourselves struggle and have a hard time, you know, don't wait till it goes too far. You know, be proactive ourselves. And then if we're the ones being reached out to, we don't have to think. We don't have to be the one to convince anyone. I mean, that, that, that goes, you have, you need to repeat that. We don't, we don't have to be the ones to fix it. We don't have to do yeah. that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, we don't. We, we need to be, we need to be on the front line. We need to identify if someone's struggling and then just, you know, assess for safety. If it's an immediate danger, Mark, there's 911, there's any emergency room. If that's not the case, if there is safety there, just we listen. We listen and we give reassurance that we're there. We don't need to talk them out of it. We don't. We just just try sitting there with them and you know, try to tap in. And uh, talk a lot about empathy, passion, and, and just sit with them and, and, and let them see that you have got their back. That you're not trying to change them. You're not sitting across from them arguing with them about merits of the talk when you're sitting next and then help them get help you know I, it warms my heart whenever someone brings someone else with them to help you know or walks them up walks them to my office or makes a phone call sends an email i tell people it sometimes it's not enough just to give someone a crisis call, you know but follow through drive them show them that support you know ask yourself what would it take for you in that situation extend that thing. So show them that they're not alone in getting and hold them accountable. Follow up with them. Hey, you know, call them a couple of days. Like, did, you, did you ever talk back now? How about I take, you know, and be honest about our own struggles too. I mean, we don't want to tell people I know how you feel with But I think we can say we know what it's like for us and that we want to help and we want to support them and really encourage them. So I tell people, don't fix them. Triage and take them to folks like me. You know, bring them to folks like me who are. And Mark, there's a great video um, called "It's Not About the Nail" on uh, YouTube, and it demonstrates this point perfectly. Of don't try to fix it, just listen, and then see where they can go for help. 
And you had mentioned some other resources. Um, you know, there's there's national suicide lines. I can send you that info if you want to put it in the description. Uh, there's apps like My3. My3 is a great app for they call it safety planning. And that's for people, if they start to feel their symptoms escalating, they can try, they actually have the coping mechanism right there in their phone. It's really hard to remember what to do to try to, you know, derail the escalation in the moment. But if you've got something in your phone written down, you can put down phone numbers of people to call when you're really hurting. So I, I highly recommend the My3 app. There's things like, um, you know, I think it's called Wi-Fi. It's another app. It's an AI app, but it's an app free app that people can get on to and do some venting, get some feedback when they're, they're having a really hard time. Uh, how? Therapy Assisted uh, Online, which I think has a lot of free resources right during folks. It's got a lot of education. You potentially talk to a therapist online, but I can't stress enough. Someone's battling suicide. Find you good therapist. Go to Psychology Today. Search their database. Find a good therapist. Insurance companies are required to pay for mental health uh, as a benefit. There's community mental health. But there, there are all kinds of, it's a very treatable thing. There's all kinds of resources out there. It just takes whether us taking that risk to connect or us taking that risk to talk to somebody. Just listen. And here's the other thing. So one more thing. I'm so sorry. I know. I'm no, you're fine. Remarks. You're totally fine. This is all great. This is all great. People are afraid to ask that question. Are you having thoughts dying? Are you having thoughts? Mark, I can't tell you genuinely how many clients said to me, it is a relief that somebody asked that question. I mean, like we were talking about with that question, hey, how you hold it? It's a relief to have somebody genuinely sympathetic ask them, what's going on? How are we doing? And to take that risk, say that i'm yet and i've got a lot left to learn i'm yet to have a client go off and get kicked off the press. But most people according to research they feel relieved to be able to talk about it get it out there see the conversation. so ask the question and it, it, you don't have to ask it i love the saying it's not about how you ask the question it's if you ask so ask the question you've got concerns if you in fact, I say, if you got to ask yourself the question, hey, is this person struggling? Or, hey, is this person maybe having thoughts of dying? You probably already know these. So, approach. Well, David, thank you so much for being a part of this show again. Um, until next time, which I, I hope you'll, you'll, you'll be a guest on next season. I really, I really like talking to you, and I think you bring Absolutely. a lot of good stuff. So, again, thank you very much for being a part of the show, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Mark. It's been my pleasure. I want to take this time to thank my special guest, David. Excuse me. Dr. David Pfaff for joining me on today's show. And we talked a lot about suicide, what we can do about it, how we need to start the conversation. And like I end every show, if you or someone you know is in crisis, 
please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255.